What's going on? Welcome into the Sharp Angle Podcast. Thanks for joining us on a Tuesday. Today is Concept Tuesday. And you guys know the drill. Usually on Tuesdays, we talk about uh, different conceptual things, how to approach sports betting, what's been going on in the world of sports betting. You know, sometimes it's topical if it's the playoffs or the finals, something like that. But uh, starting today, for the next, I don't know, month, month and a half, every Tuesday for the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a series. And uh, the series is going to be inside the industry. Because we always talk about you know, certain things to do with actually profiting in sports betting, but we don't always talk about what's going on around the industry. Who's making this all happen? You know, uh, How does it all work? So we'll take an opportunity every Tuesday for the next, like I said, month, month and a half, to do an inside the industry look. So we'll look at uh, you know how lines are created, how different books do what they do, the people who make this all go, and uh, kind of take a deep look into all that stuff. It's really interesting. And we don't often talk about it, but there's a lot that's not known about the sports betting industry. This still happens on a daily basis. And we'll talk about that every Tuesday for the next uh, couple of weeks. So Uh, On today's show, we'll start off by talking, you know, we'll start this whole series by talking about the people, the people who make the sports betting industry what it is, Uh, the sports bettors, the people who take bets, everyone who's regulating things in politics, you know, politicians. So we'll take a look at everyone, right? Everyone today on today's podcast that makes the sports betting industry what it is. Uh, And let's start off talking about the people who actually make the bets, because that is most of us listening. I'm sure I have a bookie or two who like to listen, but generally, most of you guys who listen and me, you know, I'm a professional better. We all like to place bets. So let's start off by talking about the people who are actually funding these, these, these things, betting on games, spending their money on sports, and making bets. Most people... So we'll start off by actually talking about the professional handicappers. Because really, I think that the biggest... Or one of the biggest... There's a lot of misconceptions in sports betting. But one of the biggest misconceptions is that everyone who does this professionally is a professional handicapper. And that's actually not the case. Professional handicappers are rare in this industry. And to define what a professional handicapper is... These are people who have certain ways to look at a game and create a line. And professional handicappers are particularly good at pricing uncertainty. How much does this injury or how much should this injury cost? How much should this travel from Miami to Washington, uh, the Washington State or Seattle cost, right? We all know traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast is bad, but pricing that, quantifying that, is what's tough. That's what professional handicappers do. They can take a lot of different factors and create a line. So professional handicappers are very good. They usually are knowledgeable about the sport, knowledgeable about what makes things in the sport go. You know, uh, professional handicappers in football know a lot about the sport of football. Professional handicappers in football know 
about relationships and how receivers and quarterbacks work well together and what's going on with injuries. A lot of professional handicappers have people on the inside or get their information from a specific source. So professional handicappers are a small group of people who create their own lines and look at games, factors, things like that, and can adjust the the prices and the lines based on different factors. Again, most people listening do things or try and do things this way. A lot of you may think of yourselves as handicappers because usually, traditionally, handicappers do know a decent amount about the sport and they're good at pricing the uncertainty within the sport. So professional handicappers are only one small, you know, a small percentage of people out there who are making sports bets. The next group of people are your math people, your pure, straight up math nerds, okay? And I would say there's just as many math people out there as there are gritty, old-school, professional handicappers. Now, I think of myself as a blend of these two. I think of myself as a professional handicapper. I know a lot about these sports. I can price the uncertainty, things like that. And I have greatly incorporated math into what I do the last about two years. I've learned a lot about math. As some of you guys know, I, I've uh, t- you know re-enrolled in, in college and university, it, specifically Denver University or University of Denver. Um, I, I, I studied data science. And so I have taken what I originally started doing in this industry as a professional handicapper, as a, <laughs> I was an amateur handicapper to begin with, trust me, but I grew into a, a pro handicapper. But then I've really incorporated math. And I think today in 2021, Every pro handicapper has an element of math that they use, but that's not what I'm talking about when I mention the math people or the math nerds, because these are a specific sect of people who bet sports. You may not understand, you may not know it, but there are several, I would say right now, probably several dozens of people, if not a couple hundred people in the United States who bet on sports professionally, who can't pronounce any of the guy's names. You know, I mean, I've read books where people who make a living betting sports, you know, they call Albert Pujols, Albert Pudgels, you know, they, they don't understand, uh, in one book I read, uh, an extremely professional, or uh, an extremely successful professional better thought that a safety uh, or excuse me, thought that an interception was when the other team sacks the quarterback in his own end zone. I mean, some of these guys have absolutely no idea about sports or the players or anything because you don't really need to if you approach sports betting one specific way. And that specific way is completely math-based. There is more than enough data to have some very accurate predictions and accurate forecasting in the world of sports without knowing a thing about this about the game. And often that's a that's a good way to do it because our biases don't get in the way. If you're an avid fan of sports, you are prone to making a lot of mistakes in sports betting because you know the game so well, you know the players so well, you have your own biases and you have your own opinions. That can be good in some instances, but really when it comes to betting sports, it can't be good. It's not very good. You know, Billy Walters was always famous for saying, if you bet based on hunches or if you bet based on what you think's going on, you know, your own ideas, you're, that's really not a good thing. You, you can know the sport very well. You can know... 
the game very well. But if you deviate from math or from probability, you're going to get burned, you know? And Billy Walters was one of the most successful sports bettors of all time, but he didn't base, he didn't bet based on these sports hunches, things like that. And that's back to this whole thing of math people. There's this very specific group of math people. That's why I wanted to separate them from pro handicappers. Pro handicappers and math people, or, or specifically these math nerds who like to bet, are very different. Pro bettors or pro handicappers know a lot about the sport. Math people know usually very little about the sport, but they're good at taking information, taking data, and coming up with what they think is going to happen, you know, predicting. Um, so these are all, by the way, under the umbrella of pro bettors, who I'm talking about now pro handicappers, math people, and then my next group, okay, the syndicates. So syndicates are actually still very real and very alive. There may be more syndicates today than there were in the 90s and 2000s. We don't hear about them as much because they're not as influential, at least for the day-by-day better, but there are still syndicates all over the place. Syndicates are a group of sports bettors usually comprised of both pro handicappers and math people. So a a little bit of both the groups we just talked about. These make up syndicates and syndicates pool together their knowledge, pool together their information and are usually betting with very, very large sums of money. And syndicates are the ones who are are usually moving lines. Syndicates are betting millions of dollars every weekend, every week on pretty much every sport. I mean, there are syndicates for football, baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer, tennis, everything. Syndicates have more of an influence in other sports, things like that. Syndicates can bet more in the NFL than they can in, say, the NHL. But there are syndicates affecting every sport every day. That's, that, that is a fact. There are syndicates all over the place, and it's a very real thing today. In syndicates... They used to have names, you know. There was the kosher kids, the you know the the animals. Obviously, the computers. Uh, the computer group was uh, Billy Walters and his team. So all these different syndicates used to have these names and be a little you know fancier and exist. I'm sure there's still sort of that world, but it's not prominent. It's not out there. But syndicates are a real thing. Syndicates exist. They affect the market, and they're very respected across the world. So, so far today on the podcast, we've talked about professional handicappers, those who look at the game, good at evaluating the game, good at coming up with numbers, you know, uh, lines for the game. We've talked about the math people, the math nerds, those who approach the game and approach sports betting from a purely math point of view. And we've talked about syndicates, a group of people usually comprised of pro handicappers and math people. And this is a group of bettors who bets large volumes of money, affects the market, and are greatly respected and feared by sports books. Now let's get to kind of the next level of bettors. These guys are, these next group, this next couple of groups of people who I'll talk about are people who still influence the market, but they're not as influential as the first couple of groups we talked about. Okay, Movers. Movers in the sports betting industry are in charge of getting these huge sums of money down around the world, largely for syndicates. So movers will typically work for a syndicate or a professional better or a group of professional betters. Movers have relationships all over the world with different bookies, 
to where they get these bets down in a timely fashion. And movers are some of the most important people in the sports betting industry because they are the ones actually betting for the syndicates, moving these lines and controlling the lines around the world. And what you'll see is that, or what you'll see when you start paying attention to this stuff is that movers work in a very uh, synchronized fashion. Movers will want to get all of their bets down at once because if you have a syndicate who likes a team at, let's say we're talking the NBA and the Lakers are minus two and a half. If the syndicates like that bet at minus two and a half, they will do everything in their power to get as much money down as they can before the line moves to three. That's that's one thing to be said if you're betting a hundred, a couple hundred, even a couple thousand dollars a game. When you're betting, when you want a million dollars or a couple million on a game, it's rare that you're going to get all couple million down at minus two and a half. That's the art of making money as a syndicate or a mover. So syndicates will hire movers and these movers will get these bets down all over the world. So a syndicate will tell the mover and folks, this is real. This isn't movie stuff. This isn't books. This isn't fake. This exists in 2021 as much as it ever has before. This is all very legitimate, real stuff. Okay. You know, I, I, I could see, you know, I, I, I can assume a lot of you out there are saying, is this serious? Does this happen? This absolutely happens on a daily basis. So syndicates will hire movers. And these movers, like I said, are responsible in this example. If a syndicate likes the Lakers minus two and a half, they'll let probably two, three, four, or maybe five of their movers, they'll let them know. And then these guys go to work calling everyone around the world, calling all these bookies to get as much money down at minus two and a half as they can. And they execute this buy at the exact same time. And that's what steam is. When, when, you, when you hear people say you can see the steam, that's what the steam is. is the steam isn't a, a little trickle of money here or, yeah, it's moved a half a point overnight. That's not steam. Steam is millions of dollars being bet within usually five to 10 minutes. That's steam. And the people getting this money down, those are the movers. So it's important you guys know, movers exist they're real. They're the ones getting these bets down and they make money because they usually get a percentage of whatever they're moving for syndicates. And movers also do a couple things. They bet these games themselves that they're getting and then they sell the picks. It's very, very common for movers after they get these bets down, sometimes before the, mo before the line is moved and then sell these picks to other people who want in on the action. So movers exist. They're, they're, they're very important and very influential in the sports betting industry. And, uh, they are, it's funny movers. You, you could say maybe the most important people because syndicates would be nothing if they couldn't get their bets down. And these movers are responsible for doing that for these syndicates. Okay. Moving on. We talked about movers. Next, you have your runners and the difference between a mover and a runner is minute. There's not many differences. The biggest difference is runners are like a smaller version. You know, they're, they're the, the B team or the triple A of movers. Runners usually aren't moving lines that much. Runners are responsible for getting down 5,000 to probably $20,000 bets at different casinos, different outs, different books, 
uh, again around the world typically in the, in the in uh, the US now uh, offshore some of the, some places in Curacao the Caribbean things like that uh, and then the UK so movers and runners are very similar but movers are actually moving lines. That's why they're called movers. Runners usually aren't dealing with that heavy amount of money, millions of dollars. They're dealing with smaller amounts of money, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. They're still getting bets down for syndicates and other pro bettors, but they're just not as influential or as powerful as movers. Uh, Runners are much more common. You know, if a syndicate has uh, five movers, they may have a hundred runners around the world. So that's how it works. There's many more runners in the industry than there are movers, but runners similar to movers, they're betting these games as well themselves because they know the right side of the good games. And they're also selling the picks. I don't think going on opposites is as much as big a deal as it was in the past. Now, maybe it is, and that still happens, but not as much in the past where, Syndicates would play the wrong side of a certain game, chip away, and kind of let the line get to where they wanted it to be. And then they would come in heavy on the other side with millions. That doesn't happen as much as it used to because the market is more efficient. But still, it does happen if, if, if you get a sports book who moves based on action. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in today's podcast. But runners get bets down for syndicates and pro bettors all over the world for, you know, certain amounts, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 movers are betting millions and actually moving lines. Okay. So now we've pretty much covered everyone under the umbrella of influential professional bettors. Those are the pro handicappers, the math guys, the syndicates, the movers, the runners. These are the ones making the action happen. These are the ones stirring the pot, moving lines and, Really, even or uh, uh, I should say, sharpening out the lines across the market. Now we get to our next level of sports better, which is pretty much the uh, not not pro betters, but not the public, like the people in between. And those are the steam chasers. And the steam chasers are pretty much the screen watchers, the people who sit at the screen all day, and they are pretty much even money betters, okay? It is net-net even to to Steam Chase. The reason is, if you're always chasing Steam, you're never usually getting the best, well, you're never getting the best line because you're watching it move, but it's usually not enough to still make it a bad bet. If you see, you know, some Steam come in, and let's be clear again, Steam means millions of dollars in about 10 minutes. If you see some serious Steam come in, and a line moves from Lakers minus two and a half to minus three and a half, and you now have Lakers minus three and a half, that may still be, let's say, a break-even bet. Let's say you have an advantage of about 52.3 or 52.4%. Well, that's right around break-even. You know, 52.38% again is minus 110 break-even if you're bu- if you're betting minus 110 sports. So, If you're betting constantly into those lines that are really break even because you're chasing the steam, but you're not getting the best lines, there's a lot of that money in the market. And those betters are pretty much, like I said, break even. It's not the worst thing to state to chase steam, but it's not the most profitable approach ever. You can make money, but it's tougher. So that's one group of the steam chasers. And then you have your, what I call faux pro betters. And these guys are people, well, these guys and gals, you know, ladies and gentlemen, these are people who have access to money, sometimes serious money 
who aren't actually profitable, but because of their ego, maybe their want to be a better better, maybe their access to real money, it keeps them in the game. It keeps them going, keeps them betting. And they have an influence on the market. You know, whether it's it's right or not, they do have a small influence on the market. So we're talking about the people in the industry today. And that is a big chunk of them right there. Pro betters or pro handicappers, math people, syndicates, movers, runners, steam chasers, and then your wannabe wise guys who have a lot of money to put out there. That makes up about 20% of the sports betting uh, of the sports betting atmosphere right there. The other 80% is the public. And a lot of you listening are the public. You know, that's the rest of people. And this accounts for everyone else. Occasional betters, betters who really know sports, but kind of no sports, uh, kind of no sports betting. Serious betters, but not profitable. You know, your, your office pool betters. This is the public. You guys know the public. And this is where we come into the 80-20 phenomenon, where 80% of people betting are the public. But the public accounts for 20% of the money in the sports betting market. So it's the 80-20-20-80 thing. Again, 80% of people betting are the public, but 20% of the money in the market is from the public. So the first chunk of people we talked about, the pro cappers, the math people, syndicates, movers, runners, steam chasers, these guys, they're controlling the market. There's 80% of money going into the market from those groups. The public... There's a wave, an avalanche then of public people coming in, betting just a little bit here or there. That's why, and I'm going to get off on a quick little tangent here, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, on a Tuesday coming up more in depth, but that's why the whole idea of public money doesn't matter. It's bullshit. Whenever you hear ESPN or any of these shows say, the public is on team A minus four, that doesn't matter because first of all, Public money only accounts for about 20% of the money in the market. So it's typically, and that's that's generalizing, okay? But it's typically not moving lines, public money. But the other more important reason is that the public has always bet after the line has been sharpened out. So in this earlier example, if the Lakers are minus two and a half and the, the pros hammer them up to, let's say, minus three and a half or even minus four, and then the line evens out or settles at minus four, that means this. That means professionals who do this for a living got on their computer, got on their sports book, and saw the Lakers were a value at minus two and a half. And then it moved to three. And they said, yep, there's value at three. And then it moved to three and a half. And they said, yep, there's still value. Lakers minus three and a half. And then it moved to four. And the professional bettors across the world who do this for a living collectively said, okay, value's done. You know, value's gone. We're done here. Let's move on. At this point is when all the other sports books in the world release the line minus four. So if the public is on team B minus plus four or team A minus four, that's irrelevant because the pros are on the Lakers minus two and a half. So this whole idea about public money, the public money, the public the money doesn't matter at all. And fading the public, getting, look, the public's going to be right half the time, 50% of the time. That's not profitable. You got to be at least 53% to be profitable, but they're going to be right half the time. So this whole idea of fading the public and avoiding the public money, that's all a bunch of just bullshit. And I'm not quite sure why it still exists today, because when you really understand 
how the market works. And you can't make money doing this if you don't have a thorough understanding of how the market works. You realize public money doesn't really mean much at all. Okay? So that's my little tangent about public money. And uh, we'll talk more about that on a Tuesday coming up, I'm sure. So those are all the different people who are betting in the industry. Now let's talk about those who are taking bets in the industry. And those are our friends, the bookies. And yeah, I'm being sarcastic when I say our friends, the bookies, because bookies will do anything they can to take advantage of every single one of you as much as they can. Their whole business model, and I'm not saying this because I'm a scorn better. I'm not saying this for any other reason than my experiences with sports books, how they do business. And look, if you need to, if you need any more, uh, you know, evidence, log on to betmgm.com and go see what their household is for any first goal scored tonight in the NHL. And then you'll tell me how fair some of this stuff really is. And that's my point is bookies will take advantage of everyone as much as they can up until the line of making it obvious. Now, let's talk about the couple different bookies. There's two kinds of bookies. There's market makers, and then you have your retail books. Market making books, there's very, very few of these. These are rare to find. Market makers do just that. They make the market. They create lines. Market making books actually handicap. They hire a group of people similar to syndicates to look at information, create lines, and come out with lines, come out with the spread, the total, things like that. They then, market makers, move based on action. You, you, you guys may have thought that this is how every sports book worked. You post a line. If you get money on one side, you move it to balance the action. That's not how sports books work. That's how probably 5 to 10% of sports books work, called market-making books. So if they get money, especially if it's money from a known winning better, then they will move based on action. Market-making books open lines up worldwide, take bets, usually a lower limit bet to protect themselves, and then they move lines based on action. So to to continue our example from earlier, if the Lakers are minus two and a half against, I don't know, let's say the Nuggets, the Lakers are minus two and a half against the Nuggets, and a market-making book opens it up at minus two and a half, then the pros bet it to minus three. And then the pros come in and make another max level bet, another maximum bet, and then it moves to three and a half, okay? So market-making books create lines, and then they move based on action. Then market makers are usually willing to take much, much larger bets than retail books. So market makers, that's the biggest difference. They create lines, they create world openers, and they let professionals bet into these lines, and then they move based on action. Retail sports books, there are many more retail sports books than there are market making books. Retail sports books simply copy these lines once they've been evened out or once they've settled down. So, in our example, if the Lakers are minus two and a half in a market making book and then they go to minus three, then minus three and a half, then minus four, then all the action stops because all the value is gone on both sides. It's at this point, all of the other sports books in the world 
will then present this line to their customers. And we're talking here about BetMGM, FanDuel, DraftKings, Betfred, PointsBet. I mean, pretty much all of the popular ones that are in the domestic US are retail books. So when you think you're getting a good bet or you're waiting for BetMGM to come out with that line or you're doing, you know, that line has already been manipulated and toyed with and tossed with and bought and sold all across the world by the best professional bettors. Then when it gets to your website, then you have a chance to get the the mold over line. It's like shopping if you're at the very back of the line on Black Friday. You know, everyone goes in, they get all the TVs first. By the time you get in, in the back at the back of the line, the aisles are empty. It's all the stuff nobody wanted. It's all the stuff where there's no deals. You get nothing. That's what it's like betting into, honestly, a retail sports book. You get all of the picked over lines. Everything all of the professionals said, eh, pass, all the value's gone. That's what everyone out there, all the public, is betting into. The retail books copy lines, and they copy lines that really don't have much value either way. And on top of that, retail books are charging much, much heavier vigs. It's common that when you go on a market-making book, you'll find five-cent lines where it's like, you know, minus, if one team's minus 103, the other team will be plus 102. It's crazy, you know, maybe you'll find a minus 103 and a minus 103 or a minus 105 and a minus 105. You find much better VIGs on market-making books. Retail books are charging VIGs out the ass because they know the public isn't price-sensitive, The public will bet into a minus 115 line easy. Let's charge 115 because that's also how the sports books get richer and richer. So retail books are very different than market-making books. Retail books copy market-making book lines and retail books don't adjust their lines based on action. They adjust their lines based on what the sharp or market-making books do. Earlier when I talked about, a lot of you guys may think that books move their lines based on action. They put a line out there. If they get a heavy bet on one side, they move. That's not how retail books work. That's not how retail books work at all. A retail sports book is is usually willing to take heavy amounts on one side or the other, and they will only move their lines if they see a market-making book do that. Most retail sports books, i.e. BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, they will just keep an eye on other sports books they respect and, and and follow their lines. So it, it's just, you know, a lot of you, a lot of you may think that's how these, all these books work. That's not the fact that, that, that is f- the furthest thing from the truth. Most sports books don't move their lines based on action they take. Most sports books move their lines based on what bigger sports books are doing. And, and that's a fact. So, you know, if you see a, a, a sports book advertising on TV, it's very likely that's not a market making book. It's very likely that's a retail book, you know, and, and look, that doesn't mean that DraftKings or BetMGM won't take big bets, but whenever you see in the news, BetMGM takes a 50,000 bet on the Super Bowl or whatever, that's for a few reasons. First of all, that's because that company or that sports book needed a big bet on that side. Don't think for a second BetMGM is doing anybody any favors, okay? BetMGM will take a $50,000 bet if they're leveraged on one side and need a $50,000 bet. And then 
they'll turn right around and advertise it to the world, pretending like they're doing everyone a favor. Hey, come bet here. We'll take your bet. No, you'll take your money. If you can follow the model of minus 110, then you're paying the winners with the losers money, keeping 10% or whatever it would be, 5% or whatever. So, you know, the, the whole idea of BetMGM DraftKings, because they take these big bets occasionally, that doesn't make them sharp sports books. They are retail books. They're copying their lines from other sports books. And those are the two kind of sports books, okay? Retail books, which most of you guys are betting on, and then market makers. Now, there is a new form of betting that is actually very popular in the UK and England, but not as popular over here in the United States. And that is more the exchange platform. And I honestly think that exchange betting is the future of sports betting in America once people understand what it is and where you can do it. And we always talk about on the show, Better Edge. They're a great sponsor of the show. They are kind of like this. They are an exchange platform. And the best thing about exchange platforms is there is no VIG. So everything that's made sports betting so difficult to beat for decades is now gone. And that's the minus 110. You know, the minus 110, it does one thing. It takes a 50-50 proposition and it just adds value to the house by saying, okay, if each team has a 50, let's just say it's a pick them. If each team has a 50% chance to win, we're going to pretend that each team has a 52.4% chance to win. Well, that doesn't make sense because that adds up to over 100. That's the point. That's the household. However many percent or however whatever number over 100 any bet adds up to, that's the household. And you can easily calculate this yourselves if you go online to ace odds.com that's ace odds.com and go to the odds converter there you can type in any percent and it'll give you a line or you can type in any line and it'll give you a percent and so you understand that every line has a break even percentage well when you charge minus 110 you're saying you're charging 52.4 percent for something that has a 50% chance of winning. And when you total up both teams at minus 110, the household on an average bet is about 4.8%, just under 5%. That's tough to beat. So exchange betting gets rid of the VIG. Now it's an even money proposition. Each team who has a 50% chance to win is now charged in the market as if they have a 50% chance to win. My dog could bet in an exchange platform and over the course of five, 10 years, not be expected to lose a penny. So really, when you look at the future of betting, once people understand how much more beneficial and profitable exchange betting is, they're going to start betting on those platforms. And that means professionals and amateurs. And as I said, Better Edge is the only place I've found so far where you can legally do this in America. And the great thing about Better Edge is they're actually legal in a lot of states where sports betting isn't legal yet, like California, Arizona, places like that. I know Arizona just passed a bill, but it's still going to be a couple months before it's actually legal there. Better Edge is legal in all of these places. So check them out online, betteredge.com. That's B-E-T-T-O-R edge.com, like sports better. And use promo code SHARP when you're signing up. That'll get you 10 free dollars in your account. So I think that you guys are going to love it. Now, it's a bit of a different thing. You know, it's like a, it's kind of like a stock trading platform where 
Uh, you, you can name your own price. It's really cool what you can do on betteredge.com. You know, uh, what I like to do is just go to the markets, go find the sport I want to bet on and see what open orders are out there. Then you can just automatically place a bet. It's quick, take an open order, take a bet. But if you want to create your own line that isn't in the market, you can also do that on Better Edge. You know, if, if in this example, the Lakers come out two and a half and you want to put out the Lakers minus one or minus one and a half, you can put the bet out there. And if somebody else out there will take the other side, they'll take it. If not, you may not get your bet in, but you can still create your own lines and offer your own bets out there. So I really, really suggest that everyone look into the the exchange platforms in the UK and look into betteredge.com and see how much more beneficial it is to start betting on an exchange platform like one of these places. So again, check them out online, betteredge.com, B-E-T-T-O-R, edge.com. Use promo code SHARP for a free $10. And uh, that's one of the best, uh, the best ways to start betting. Honestly, everyone who asks me, yeah, well, uh, uh, yeah, okay, you know, Sports betting is finally legal in Colorado. I'm from Denver, if you guys uh, didn't know. Sports betting has been legal here for a while. If I'm at a family event or a wedding or, you know, whatever, someone says, hey, Tyler, you know, I'm looking at getting involved with sports betting. Where should I bet? I honestly feel guilty recommending any normal sports book because I know how hard minus 110 is to beat. So I feel finally, for the first time, I feel good about saying, hey, check out betteredge.com because I know deep down that they're really making risk-free bets every time they bet. So that's the advantage. And I think that's the future of betting in the United States of America. And all right, so we've talked about people who get bets down. And now we've just talked about everyone who accepts and takes bets bookies, exchange platforms, things like that. Now, the last group of people I want to talk about today are the politicians. And these are largely state governors because they have a lot to decide here. They have to decide, well, first, you know, they, they have to put it on a bill and see if it gets passed. And that's happened most places in 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 the country so far. But in a couple states, it's it's up to the people to vote and it's up to the gov- the local government to get that on a ballot to be voted on. And so politicians have a lot to do with what's going on right now. So past the whole issue of is it legal or not, once it becomes legal, now we have to answer the question of who governs it state to state because this is not a uniform thing. Some states, the gaming commission governs it. Some states, it's just looked at as another sector of the financial or as another part of the financial sector. Some states, the state lottery is handling these things. So that really matters. If a group of people get their hands on this in any given state, which has happened a lot already, and they don't know about sports betting, disastrous things could happen. So what the politicians do and how politicians approach sports betting in the near future will largely shape what sports betting looks like in the distant future for, for in the United States. So the, largely these state governors, but it is just you know local your local office, they have a lot to do with what the future of this is going to look like. As I said, who's going to govern it? But also, how much do they tax it? Are they taxing revenue or profits? All of these things shape the way sports books operate. If you think a state can jack up taxes on a sports book and we don't pay for that on the back end, you're crazy. If any sports book starts getting taxed out the ash, you know what they're going to do? They're just going to start charging minus 115. And for those who don't understand how powerful it is moving from minus 110 to minus 115, I mean, that could be the difference between a sports book going under and a sports book being able to expand 
to, you know, another country. That is a massive change. Guys, minus 110 is already hard enough to beat, but that's not the only thing that bookies have. Bookies have minus 110, and they also have an accurate line. The combination of a good accurate line and minus 110 is nearly impossible to beat. We often ignore the accurate line part because remember, in the sport, in the classic sportsbook model, the winners are paid with the loser's money and the bookies take the remaining money as, you know, for, for their trouble. That's how it's looked at. Bookies aren't paying out any extra money unless they take a side, which in a classic bookie model isn't the case. So the combination of that good at, you know good line where you're splitting the money and minus 110 is why any bozo can open a sports book and, and create a retail book tomorrow. They copy lines, they find ways to you know charge more vig. That's how easy it is. So it's powerful what these politicians can influence just by taxing more or deciding who's running this on a state by state basis, you know? But you know, that that it is very important and that does play a big part in what the future of this is gonna look like. So all right, that does it for today's podcast. The first of, I don't know, four or five different episodes inside the industry. Today we talked about the people who make this industry go. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. So all right, whatever you have going on today, tonight, good luck. Hope you catch some winners. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the Sharp Angle.